Good to be here. Uh, I love Pastor Buddy and you guys. Met a lot of you guys, some of you last night. Um, like Buddy said, we're from Denver, Colorado. Go Broncos! And um, we love it there. We're right in the city. Uh, we started meeting in a bar, and, and the first week we opened up, we had a guy, no lie, his name was Eight Ball, and he thought the bar was open. And came in and ended up staying for the service and ended up uh, following Jesus later that Sunday. So it's good, man. We, we, we love what God's doing in Denver and we love what God's doing here. Um, I got four kids that keep me on my toes. I got, how many, any, any parents of boys at all? I got two boys that cannot stop moving. Uh, this, is, this is new to me because our two boys we adopted. And I, I literally, I'm like, you cannot s- not sit still, right? He's just like always kind of moving like this. And like, no, no, no. So uh, fortunately, their room is right above me and my wife's room. So you can pray for us about that. We don't sleep much. But um, I'm, good to be, I'm really glad to be here. We're, um, we're going to talk about some things and unpack some ideas that I'm really excited about. It's Memorial Day weekend, which typically people, you know, hightail it out, go visit someplace, get outdoors, whatever. Um, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that everyone that missed will be like, man, what did we miss this week? You sound like, you want to have that kind of Sunday? Let's have that kind of Sunday. So um, I'm going to pray. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's, it's so easy for us to come in on a Sunday and kind of go through the rhythms of church, isn't it? Just kind of hear the worship and hear the message, walk out and go back to Monday. Uh, let's stop right now and just make some space for God, okay? Whether you've been going to church your whole life or this is your first time here in a church, let's just make some space real quick and, and allow God to speak to us. Does that sound good? All right, let, let's close our eyes and let's, let's just invite God. God, we come before you this morning and we, we just refuse to go through the, the routine. We want you to speak, God. We want you to to connect with our soul this morning. And like Buddy said, we don't want to walk out of here the same. We want to be different. We want to be changed somehow. And we know the only way that's going to happen is if you're here and you speak. So God, let my words fall to the ground. May you speak loud and clear. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we may hear you this morning. In your name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, um, everyone say, what if? What if? I want to ask uh, some questions. In our church, we've been doing a series called What If? And we've been unpacking kind of big questions that lead us to kind of some big truths. And, and I want to unpack some uh, big question uh, this morning. At the risk of being too transparent, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of what it's like to be a church planter. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And much like you, you know, some days you just go, I want to just quit it all. It's just... I just want to exit this season of life and, you know, and have you been through the ups and downs of life before and ask that? Well, I was going through one of those seasons where I was like, ready, God, just, just drop, I just want to leave. I just want to go up to the mountains and be a hermit for the rest of my life, okay? And uh, a friend of mine, a pastor, texted me a scripture, didn't even say anything, just texted me a scripture. And um, I looked at it and I, I read it. And it's a scripture you may know very well. It's Galatians 6, 9. And here's what it says. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Everyone say doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
That word, that phrase there, doing good, if you look at the original language, it's a, it's a much more colorful picture. Uh, it, it means creating, it means serving, it means, like literally, in Genesis, when God is creating the heavens and the earth, and he steps back and he goes, oh, it's good. That's, that's the phrase, doing good. It, it, it's an imagery of like a, a potter on a potter's wheel, getting his hands in there and creating, working, making something beautiful. And Paul here is writing right at around the time when the church, the new church, is on the cusp of exploding. And, and, and he recognizes the season they're in, and he writes these words very carefully. He says, and let us not grow weary of creating, of serving, of building, of making, of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I read this in the season of life I was in, and I wrote in my prayer journal just seconds later. I said, God, that is one big if. Have you ever been there before? It was hard. And, and I, I want to explore this question this morning. What if we just quit? What if we just packed it up? What if the church just laid down? What if we just exited? What would that look like? What has it looked like? What could it look like? What is it? What is it? I want to unpack that. Now, in order to do that, we've got to kind of look back a little bit on church history. So I want to kind of give you a little frame of mind before we launch into this. Go ahead and hit the next slide here. This is Palestine, okay? This is predominantly Judea, Samaria, uh, the Galilee up there, Sea of Galilee. Uh, you have Jerusalem right down here. Do you guys see that? It's kind of hard to see. This is predominantly where the church and where Jesus did his ministry, Think about it, in those days they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles, so no one really traveled 30 miles outside of their town. So Jesus and his ministries and his ragtag band of disciples are mainly in this kind of area. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This, or no, is there the world map there? Did I, is that one there? The bigger map? Go back, see a little. Is there another one right before that? No? Okay. All right, that's okay. We'll come. Just to give you an idea, like this is, this is a small area in a big land. You've got Europe that stretches out more towards the northeast. Underneath this area, you, down towards here, you have Egypt and, and the continent of Africa. And, and uh, up north, you have a little bit of Turkey. But this is kind of where it all started. This is where it began. Now, if you lived in Old Testament times and you rubbed shoulders with Moses or Abraham, and you said, hey, Abraham, I want to go meet with God. You didn't just stroll into a church that was non-existent at that time. God had a structure for things. In fact, God resided in, his address was in a thing called the tabernacle. Have you heard of this before? Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is a modern day kind of replica of what the tabernacle looked like. So all the, the tribes of Israel camped around it. This was in the center. Inside the tabernacle, you had two rooms. One room that led into another room, and in that back room, you had what they called the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant, right? You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, don't open the lid, your face will melt. Yeah, it's not too far off, actually. All right, and that's where God dwelt. That's where he lived. His address resided here in this place. 
And over the years, this tabernacle developed more and more, and God's house grew bigger and bigger in a sense. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is during Herod's time, uh, during Jesus, uh, when he walked and lived. This would have been in the central part of Jerusalem. This was the second temple. Just to give you some perspective, do you see those gold kind of uh, triangles on the top of, that, of the temple? Those are clusters of grapes. Those are about the size of a man. It's a big place. God lived in a huge place. And no one just walked in to see God. You had to go through a process. There was a priest, and the priest had to go before God. And you had, you had all of this kind of uh, in-between space between you, just the average person, me, and God. But if you wanted to mail a postcard to God in these days, you wouldn't just go to your priest. You wouldn't go to a local church. This is where you would mail it, to the temple, to the tabernacle. This is where God lived. This was his place. Now, Jesus comes to earth, and he begins to minister, and he begins to reach people, okay? But Jesus still goes to temple too. Jesus still recognizes the procedure of how to connect with God. But he dies on the cross. We all know the story. He comes back, right? We have that miracle. And then he meets with the disciples for a couple days, for 40 days, and he instructs them on something, Here's what he says in the book of Acts here. You go ahead. Yeah. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When you put power in something, what do you do with that? Do you, let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. Do you power something up and then just set it on the shelf? Probably not, right? You probably recharge something. You put batteries in something for what? To use it. It's about to get used, isn't it? And Jesus says, listen, listen, listen. You're going to receive this power. And they're going, what, is, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you mean? And he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the small area that they started ministering in, in Judea, which was a little bit wider. And then he says Samaria, which was a good 30, 40 miles away from Jerusalem. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes, and, oh, and by the way, to the ends of the earth. <laughs> like what, The disciples' jaws would have dropped. Like, what? No, come on. How how are we going to do that? Jesus just dropped some vision, man. He's just like, yeah, and by the way, to the ends of the earth. Like, this is how big this thing is going to happen. So he spits this vision out. The question is, how is this going to play out? How is this going to happen? He gave the vision for it, but come on, Jesus. How, like, are you going to use us? Are you going to just magically, like, convert everyone? And and no, no. It it begins to happen in the very next couple verses. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Check this out. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We know it was called the upper room where they met. Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not. Is the upper room in the temple? No, it's not. It's sort of close to it, but it's not there. It, it's, it's separate from where the temple is. All right, so they're meeting there, and suddenly there came, a, uh, a sound, or there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I don't know what that looked like, but man, that, is, that sounds cool. And they were all filled, it says, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven, and at that sound the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So here's these disciples, this rushing wind, tongues of fire. I don't know what that looked like. You know, I've seen pictures before, but I can't, I can't fathom what that is. This power comes on. They start speaking in different languages that, that other people stop. They're walking by. They, whoa, did you hear that? That's my native language. So here you have this, this move happening in a place outside of the temple and people who are not even Jewish are hearing it and going, what? what's, what's going on over there? What's, do you hear that? Yeah, that's, that sounds weird. Let's go check it out. And so Peter, the disciples, they have no idea. Like, this is all new to them, okay? Jesus is gone. Like, you know, there's no kind of, like, this is all new ground that they're on. Peter stands up and he's like, I don't know what to do. What do you, what she do? I don't know. You want to just, I guess, say something. And Peter gets up and he just begins to share Jesus. He goes, let me tell you guys a story. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. And he's, and he just, he's just doing what he kind of knows. He's nothing special. Jesus isn't there standing up. He's not prodding him. He just, I'll just do this. I guess this makes sense. And this is what happens. Check it out. Next slide. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Oh. Something in that message, was it Peter's magical voice? <laughs> no, the message itself cut to them. And Peter, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is all new. Like, this is, there's no program like, you know, uh, you know so how to start a church 101, you know. <laughs> this is all fresh ground, and the people are drawn to it. They're pulled in by it, and they're just doing kind of what's in front of them. What's the result of this? Check this out. Next slide. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000. Now I want you to pay attention to the word added because we're going to come back to that mathematical equation a little later, okay? But check it out. This, this um, small kind of movement, Jesus is gone. He says, you're going to receive this power, right? They're waiting for it. Something happens, this kind of fresh new move. Thousands of people here, including those who aren't Jewish. This is way outside of the realm of what, was used, what everyone was used to. And because of it, 3,000 people on one day just said, I love you, Jesus. I want to follow you. 3,000 people. So this thing ex explodes onto the scene. But it's still kind of in this grassroots kind of movement. All right? It's still very word of mouth. Disciples are still figuring this out. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And check this out. This is, um, once again, the temple. This is where God's presence dwelt. Why was this day so significant in the world of church? Because check this out. God moved, in that day, God moved his address from a place to a people. 
I'm going to say that again. <laughs> God moved his holy place. His holy means set aside. He moved his address from a holy place now to a holy people. This is unprecedented. Now, this is why you start here and go to the next slide. In Romans here, you start hearing these phrases now. Um, let me see. Um, yeah, yeah. This is why you start hearing these kind of phrases like, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Uh, another word for saints is holy people. Go to the next slide right here. Uh, Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, high priest of your confession. Holy brothers. You start hearing these terms, a holy people. Because God now, he, he, the plan wasn't to stay in a place. The plan was to move into the people, his holy people. And so the, the, they're kind of picking up steam. Like this, everyone's, there's a little buzz going around about this, this whole new church thing. And then this happens. Check this out. Go to the next slide there. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists Arose, so the Hellenists were the Greeks there, the non Jewish people, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the, the disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Now remember that name because you're going to come back to it, okay? Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. These are all Greek names. These are not Jewish names, okay? So you're already getting the sense. Like this thing's kind of busting out a little bit here, okay? Uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Check this out. Check this out. And the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of the disciples, what? Wait, wait. The last time we saw it grow, it did what? It added. Now, I'm not good at math. <laughs> Never have been. But I do know this. <laughs> when you multiply something, it's greater than when you add something, isn't it? So something in this movement, in this kind of small shift in the church, caused it to not just add a couple thousand, but to multiply. And what was it? it? It was the disciples getting addressed going, hey, listen, listen, this thing's starting to really blow up here. But we recognize, like, you guys are doing everything. <laughs> like, like, look at these widows over here. They're being ignored. Like, we can't have that. And the disciples are like, yeah, you're right. Like, wh- what do we do? What, what's, what should we do? And so they said, let's do this. Let's do they recognized that there was a need to enlist more people. Right, That if this thing was going to keep moving, full head of steam, that, that there were going to have to be people outside of just those 12 disciples that were going to have to be enlisted, that were going to have to be empowered to take care of things that they can't do. Otherwise, they recognize they're just going to burn out. And this thing's going to go nowhere after that. And it says when they got this, and, they, and they, Stephen, and, and this guy, and that guy, and they say, you do this, and you do that. You say, well, the widow's duty, that, that's, that's not very public. Like, it didn't matter to them. There was just this sense of like, we got to keep this thing going. We got to keep moving. This thing's got to keep growing. And the only way we're going to do is, you do this, I'll do this, and then you do this. You got a gift in here, let's do that. And because of that, the church began to multiply now. 
Now it's moving. Now it's starting to grow. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Check this out. This is, you remember Philip? Everyone say Philip. So Philip, what was he on? What, he was taking care of the widows. You remember that? But just a couple chapters later, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, okay? And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian or an African, someone from the south, from the Egypt, Africa area, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. Go to the next slide. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, stop there. You have this... Ethiopian, where is Ethiopia or Africa located in central to Jerusalem? Is it like 10 miles away from Jerusalem? No, it's a good ways away, isn't it? All right? And so you have this guy from far off land now who's, who's just coming up to visit and to worship. Now, he's reading the, the scriptures, which we know, like, It wasn't like we have today where you have a Bible in every room of the house, right? Like it was communities that if you had some of the scripture, it it meant you were wealthy, okay? So we have a wealthy, affluent culture that's running in the south that all of a sudden is like, what's what's all this buzz about this Jesus guy? And this Jewish thing, like what's going on? He comes up to check it out. And he's coming back and he's reading the scriptures. And it says this, the spirit said, no, go back, go back. The Spirit said to him, go over and join this chariot to Philip. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Listen to this, church, listen to this. He said this, how can I unless someone guides me? You got this guy, he's, re- he's, he's hungry. He's questioning, but he needs a voice. He, he needs someone to interpret, someone to tell him, someone to decode it for him. What if Philip wasn't there? This guy could have gone back to his country, back to his queen, and no one would have ever known about this Jesus. But Philip says, ah, I hear the Spirit talking. And someone, you need a voice, Holy Spirit? Okay, well, let me be the voice. And he begins to explain what the prophet in Isaiah is saying. And right then and there, the guy goes, I want to be baptized. <laughs> I want this right now. And they pull over at the side of the road. He baptizes them right in a little you know, stream or whatever, right then and there. That's how hungry it was. But there was this sense, and the author of Acts, he's, he's painting a picture like, this is really, really starting to spread now, uh, even into other continents. And people not only are hearing about it, but they're questioning and they're hungry for it. Part of the vision is starting to happen. Jesus, what he said is now, they're seeing it now. They're starting to see it. Go ahead, go to the next slide. Check this out. Now, James, the the half-brother of Jesus, he writes this letter. Now, when he wrote the book of James, he was writing it to a predominantly Jewish culture. What does that mean? Okay, it means he's talking to church people, okay? He's talking to people who have been, you know, they know it. They know the system. They know the rules. They know the tabernacle. They know all this. But he's got to address an issue, So he sits down to write this letter, and here's what he points out that he wants to communicate to them in the midst of this church growth, this church starting to explode. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that the faith apart from works is what? Useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What's what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, listen. And we do this in church so much, guys. That's why I love that he addresses church people. Because we we preach the works thing, don't we? We're like, it's not by works. It's not by works. But here James is saying, no, 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 no. It is works. It is deeds. Your faith apart from works is useless. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you have a belief. You believe in this Jesus. But if that belief doesn't translate into action, if it doesn't translate into deeds where people can see it, then it's useless. Look at, the, look at what he even gives the example. He says, hey, look at the demons. Even they believe, and because of that belief, they're freaked out. Even their faith has action. He says, your faith has to, have, it has to produce some. It has, there has to be works. There has to be deeds. It's faith with works, not one and just the other. Do you hear me? Come on, are you awake? All right, next slide. He continues on. He says, you see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works, Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There's this sense in the, in the growing church, in those that have been faithful, those who have been the churchgoers, those that have, have been walking the path for a long time. There was a sense of, hey guys, don't forget, there has to be some kind of action that's led by your belief. This belief that you have, this Jesus kind of concept in faith, if it's not producing anything in your life, if there's no works you can see of that, it's useless. It's useless. So, so the church people go, okay, I, we're getting this. We're getting this. They're learning kind of as they go, and the church is slowly, slowly growing. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> now, Paul, I love this, man. Paul jumps in on this, and this is, he's writing to a church in Corinth. Um, go to the next slide. I just want to see if, if the map is, is the map the next slide there? No? That's okay. Okay. That's all right. Go back. Go back. We'll get to it. I'll show you just where Corinth is so you kind of get an idea of where things are at. Here's what Paul writes. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all in everyone. So Paul's like, there's these gifts that you have and I have, and, and you have a unique gift, but they're all given by the one same God. There's this variety of gifts that God's kind of handing out to people. And it's all from the same source, though. And he goes on. He's painting a picture here for us. Next slide. He says this a couple verses later. Um, and just, for just as the body is one, it has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. Go to the next slide here. For the whole body, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, 
Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul's painting this picture of like, listen, I know you see the apostles, you see these guys up on stage, and you go like, that's, that's the gift, that's the ministry, but you don't get it. Like, we're all body. I love that he used something they all just knew. It was something pictorial, something they could see. He goes, you don't understand, if we were all like an ear, how weird would that be? <laughs> Like if everyone just had the gift of, of preaching and teaching, how weird would the church be with that? No one would, they'd be like, they just talk all the time, <laughs> right? He's saying, you don't get it. Like even, even the small part, every part has to be working together to be fully functioning. Even the little parts, the parts that you sing, seem insignificant. You don't know how important your, your toe is until you stub it in the middle of the night, Right? And scream out, and you're trying to hobble the next week, and you're like, what happened? Nothing, nothing. Right? Because every part is important. Every part has a role. And it has to work together. Paul's painting this picture. Oh, I love it. It's this, this perfect, moving kind of entity. And it's growing. It's picking up. Next slide. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And when you read this scripture, it's one of those scriptures, have you ever read a scripture and been like, where did that come from? Like he's just kind of out of left field, right? Paul's talking about unity here. He's talking about don't, you know, like not, don't, not being angry, like, you know, and to not let the sun go down on your hand, all this kind of picture. And then out of left field, he, he says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then he goes right back into kind of the flow of everything else. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, I thought this was like Christianity 101. I thought like, don't steal? Like he just throws it out there. He's like, don't steal and instead use your hands for something else <laughs> to, to labor for something and for the kingdom here. Why does he put this? What's he trying to communicate? What's he trying to tell the church in Ephesus? Let's think about this. Anyone have a, a, a past where they used to steal and brave enough to raise their hand? No one? Okay, I'll be brave enough. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I used to steal back in my life, okay? And, and when you steal something, let me ask you this. What do you primarily use to steal? Your hands. Like, you'd be a bad thief if you, <laughs> if you were able to steal with your mouth. Like, that's weird, okay? Like, I guess you could do it, but it's weird. No, you use your hands to steal. What's Paul saying? He's saying that thing that, you, that used to be used for destruction, he's saying you need to repurpose it. Don't just throw it out. Church, church, listen to this. You have a past. God used this. You, this was something in, in your history. Don't just go, ah, turn away from it. I'm gonna. No, he says take what was meant for destruction and repurpose it for the kingdom works. Let me give you an example of this. Like I told you, I, I grew up in the church, but I went the opposite way of the church, okay? And I partied a lot. In fact, I used to do a lot, I tell my kids all the time, you know, these stories. I, I used to do a lot of LSD, a lot of mushrooms. And so I'd gather my friends. Here's what would happen. Here's what would happen. I'd gather all my friends, and we would, we would trip on LSD, and we'd be like, you know, like seeing things. All, and I would go, okay, guys, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And they're like, what? What? I go, we got to go on a journey. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, yeah, we got we to gotta go. For what? I'm like, for the, the rock. 
And they're like, yeah, the rock, we got to go on a journey to the rock. Where are we going to go? I don't know, but we got to go. We just got to go on this journey. And the whole night, we'd be up in the mountains and we'd just, we'd come out and we'd be like, here it is. Here's the rock. And everyone's like, yeah. We did it, <laughs> right? If you're looking on the outside in, you're like, what a bunch of weird people. <laughs> but this is, this is what, this was my past, was gathering people to go on a journey. So when I was called into ministry, what was natural that God just called me into? To take what was used for once destruction and repurpose it. Now I lead people on a totally different journey. For the real rock. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Does this make sense though? Because Paul's painting this picture now. He's saying, listen, you, you've got all these gifts. You've got even gifts you don't even realize that were once for destruction that now are being used. Repurpose it. Rebuild it and use it for the kingdom works. Because your faith needs to produce what? Something works. Deeds. Faith with works. This is how the church operated. This is what the church was doing, this is how it was growing. Now, let me show you, go to the next slide, this map here. Um, no, do you have the maps at all? Yeah, yeah, okay, check this, check this out. Way down here, do you see this? That's Jerusalem, that's Palestine. That's where Jesus started things. Up here, over by Italy, do you see that? A little north of that, that's where Corinth was, where Paul was writing one letter. Ephesus, Ephesus is over in Turkey here. It's near, uh, kind of in between Greece there and Turkey. That's where Ephesus, the church, is. Ethiopia, where that one guy came from, right, for the queen, he's way down here. What is happening? The church is spreading, man. What Jesus actually said is happening. And it is blowing up. It's far better and bigger than they could even imagine. Now check this out. For 900 years, Christianity is opposed, it's, they're persecuted, and yet it is spreading like wildfire. In between Turkey here and where you see Bulgaria, there's a little peninsula kind of there. There's a little place called Istanbul. Everyone say Istanbul. Emperor Constantine, around 500 or so A.D., did the craziest thing. He moved the empire of Rome, the capital, to a, to a place called Constantine. Or he, actually, it was Constantinople, and he named it after himself. All right? And at that time, he legalized Christianity. Okay? It's around 500 or so B.C. The church at this point is, I mean, just exploding and, and Constantine does something crazy. He builds this thing called Hagia Sophia. Everyone say Hagia, Hagia. Sophia. Here's a picture of it. It's built in 538 AD, about 500 or so years after Jesus walked. And right in modern day Istanbul, which was then Constantinople, he builds this huge, huge building for the church. And the church is growing at speeds unheard of. This place, this palace that he built for the church is unbelievable. I've been there. Look at these pictures. This is the outside. You didn't have the steeples on the side there. This is the inside. You see that dome, that dome on the top? Architects don't even know how they built it. They don't even know how it's standing. It's so massive and so wide. Uh, go to the next picture. Look at these columns. These are these uh, mosaics they did. Some of the most beautiful mosaics of gold and, and just beautiful 
beautiful, beautiful. Next slide. Look at this. Just look how massive this is. I mean, it stands 200 feet up to the top there. Um, later you had uh, Muslims that came in and kind of repurposed it and stuff. But this, is, this was, listen church, it was the hub of Christianity. Look at these marble columns. Go to the next slide right here. Look at how massive these things. When you walked in it, I'm telling you, even nowadays you go, whoa. Everything at the center of Christianity was happening in this place. And for 900 years, I mean, they had meetings here that decided some of the things me and you agree on as a faith. Everyone knew Hagia Sophia, they came here. For 900 years, church, 900 years, Christianity blew up with this. It was the capital of Christianity. After 900 years, it stopped. It quit. Christianity began to decline. In fact, nowadays in modern Turkey, the the rate of Christians in that country nowadays is less than 1%. Church, this is where the church exploded, where it grew, where it was on fire. And all of a sudden, nothing. It was done. It's began to decline. Now, thank God it grew in other places. But in this place, at this time, it was over. What was it? What happened? Well, I, I don't think we can pin it on one thing, but do you want to know what I think? For hundreds of years, God was moving his address from a holy place to a holy people. And we've done our best since then to move them from a holy people back into a holy place. Church, listen to me. Let this sear into your soul. If you follow Jesus Christ, you don't go to a church. You are the church. You are the church. The only time Christianity began to decline was when they said, come look at our building. Come look at our place. Come see where God dwells right in here. And they missed years and years of God over time saying, no, it's your voice that I need. It's your talents that I need. It's your place and it's your repurposed activity that will be the church. We need you. Legacy needs you. More importantly, the kingdom of God needs you. You want to reach Canal? You want to reach those that are broken and hurting? Those who are addicted and and thinking and contemplating suicide? It's not these four walls that they need. It's not fancy music. They need Jesus in you. And, And check this out. Listen to this. It's not Buddy's responsibility. There was never a sense in those days of like, hey, it's just the apostles. Like, get on it, Paul. You know, get on it, Peter. What do you do? It was not that sense. It was your part and my part, and we're all going to do this together. And when they got that, the idea of being the church, things escalated, things multiplied. Church, it's time for us to wake up again and to be the church. That's what will rewrite a city's story. That's what will change 
people's hearts. Would you stand with me? Oh, I love the text. I love, Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Oh, I just feel the anticipation, God, in the room. God, it's not, we don't put our our hope in programs. We don't put our hope in in, in the music, in, in the stage here, in the past. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would use us. Don't let us be on the downside and the decline of the local church and the kingdom of heaven in this city, God. Allow us to be the church to the broken and the lost, to the hopeful, the rich and the poor, God, to everyone. Let us be the church, God. Let it click this morning, God. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. I don't know many of your guys' stories. Some of you I know a little bit. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that moment, that time right now. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you up here. We're not going to do anything like that. I just want to pray with you, man. I've been in your chair. A lot of us have been in that seat before. But don't pass on this opportunity. Maybe you've been a part of the church for years and it's been a slow decline. And God this morning said, wake up. Wake up. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I need you. I need your gifts. I need your voice. I need you. If that's you here this morning, you just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Anyone in the house this morning? That's me. I just need Jesus this morning. Yeah, I see your hand. Anyone else? That's me. We're going to say a prayer. The Bible's really simple. It says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. And we're going to pray this prayer together as a church. Maybe you raised your hand or you didn't. I'm going to say the prayer. We're going to say it together. There's no magical phrase within it. The believing in your heart, that's your thing. It's only from you to God. So mean it. Mean it this morning. Let's pray this together as a church. Come on, legacy. Dear God, come before you, the giver of life. And we attach our lives to you. I lay down my sin. I lay down my brokenness. And I turn to you. Teach me how to do this, God. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's give a hand for those people this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. This is what it's about. Now, here's what I want to do. We're going to go into a time of worship. This is a time of reflection. I'm going to ask you two questions. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? Don't play the game, okay? I'm just going to tell you, don't play the game. Don't go, this was, this was a great message for that person. Ask the hard questions. God, what are you saying, and what do I need to do about this this morning? Maybe it's a simple step. Maybe it's, it's saying, hey, I, I, need to, I need to play a part here at Legacy. Maybe it's, I got a neighbor who I need to go and serve. Remember what Paul said. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not give up. Come on, let's worship.